Welcome to the Laser Therapy Institute weekly podcast, the world's first podcast about medical laser therapy for healthcare providers. Each week, we discuss the latest research, interviews with experts, and how laser therapy can enhance your practice. Now, here is the founder of LTI and your host, Dr. Jason Roundtree. Hello, and thanks for joining me again this week on the Laser Therapy Institute podcast, your weekly podcast about laser therapy for healthcare providers. My name is Dr. Jason Roundtree, and I'll be talking to you today about a major topic that people ask me about all the time. This is probably one of the biggest uh, questions that I get, really. Why didn't laser make my patient better? Uh, I get a lot of doctors go, hey, I know laser is great, and I've seen it work well, but this patient just didn't improve at all. Or this particular condition, man, I can just never get these folks better with, you know, whatever condition it is. And that is uh, something that has been difficult to get research on. So when I saw this particular study come across my desk, I thought, man, this is going to be a great episode because the title of the study is, part of it is, why some respond and others do not. Well, that is exactly what we want to know. If you're in laser therapy practice, if you've been using laser for any amount of time, you know that a lot of patients do well and some just seem to not respond. Why is that? What's happening in there? And more importantly, how do we work around that? How do we get that patient better even if they're not one of those quick responders? So full title of this paper is Microcirculatory Response to Photobiomodulation, Why Some Respond and Others Do Not, a Randomized Controlled Study. This came out in Lasers in Surgery and Medicine in February of this year, February 2020. And what I'll do today is I'll talk to you about how they designed this study and the findings from the study, what they were able to see, and then I'll talk about the things that they weren't really able to get into with these results. I think the exciting thing is that seeing studies like this, we are likely to see more and more over the next few months and years that dig into exactly how to make sure we are getting good results with laser therapy. And there is so much behind it. But there's some basic principles here that are really critical. If you're a laser therapy practitioner, you need to know these things. So here we go. This study took 20 patients, and they used red or infrared LED light on the patient's left wrist for five minutes. And they set up a bunch of different measures to look at the blood flow and the warmth in both hands. So to do that, they looked at left and right hand, skin perfusion, skin blood volume changes, and skin temperature, as well as the patient's respiration rate, heart rate, and blood pressure. So they measured all this the the entire time. And remember, they're only applying either red or infrared light to just the left side. So the right side kind of serves as a nice control for this. For the red LED light, they were using 633 nanometer light at a uh, total energy procession of 21 joules per centimeter squared, which is fairly high. And then for the infrared, they were using 830 nanometer infrared diodes, which was ended up being about 16.5 joules per centimeter squared. So they were able to, with the LED cluster, just irradiate the entire wrist. Uh, and they were doing this on the anterior wrist, so they were getting to the ulnar and radial arteries. And they left it on for five minutes, and they actually covered up the right hand or or blocked the light so that none of the light could reach the right hand. So did that five minutes. They actually 
measured those, those, they took measurements throughout 20 minutes, though, after the light was switched off. The idea here was that patients would see an increase in circulation in the hand, so distal to where the light was being applied, on that left side only, and the right side would stay constant. And that is exactly what they saw. They said that photobiomodulation increased all microcirculatory variables measured during the five-minute irradiation, and then it was either maintained or increased further until it reached saturation during the 20-minute follow-up period. They said that it induced arteriolar vasodilation that results in both immediate and long-lasting increased capillary flow and tissue perfusion in healthy individuals. In healthy individuals. Now, I'll come back to that in a minute. Let me, let me finish telling you about some of these results, and then I'll say why they said that. Why did they say in healthy individuals they saw improvements? Well, yeah, I'll come back to it in a minute. The comparison they made, though, between red and infrared LEDs was that the infrared produced that increase in skin blood flow, arteriolar blood volume, pulsation during the irradiation and the follow-up. The red LEDs did not. So that's one of the factors right there is that the color of light you use, the wavelength, matters. There is a difference between red and infrared. They act differently on the tissues. And in this particular study, what the authors saw is that to get good improvements in blood flow down in the hand, you needed to be in that infrared range, not the red light, visible range. Stop and think with me for just a minute here on what type of conditions that you see in clinical practice could benefit from increased circulation downstream. So again, these researchers were lasering the wrist, or I'm sorry, applying light to the wrist, and they were watching blood flow improvements down in the hand. What type of conditions do you just automatically think of applying light to the wrist and seeing improvements in the hand? Well, one would be carpal tunnel syndrome, right? Improved blood flow into the hand. Sounds pretty darn good for carpal tunnel patients. What about Raynaud's? Raynaud's is that blood flow disorder that uh, patients experience the, uh, the white, blue, red progression that can be very, very painful. Um, it's worsened by cold weather, but it's a blood flow issue. I mean, go ahead and think about anything else that can benefit from increased distal blood flow. And this is just setting an LED cluster on the patient's wrist for five minutes and seeing improvements in that downstream blood flow in healthy patients, remember? So what did these researchers find about healthy versus unhealthy patients? And does that have to do with why some patients don't respond? Let me read you a few quotes. Number one, and I've already touched on it, but near-infrared light was found to induce greater stimulation of skin blood flow and arteriolar blood volume pulse compared to red light. They say it is well established that near-infrared light, so that's that 800 to about... 1100 nanometers, that near-infrared light has greater penetration of depth compared with red light, which might explain the superior effects on the microvascular response found in this study. Infrared light works better than red light for improving microvascular measures. So again, the wavelength matters. And you can go back to a, an episode that we just did a couple weeks ago on wavelength. We'll drop a link in the show notes, but talks very, very in-depth about wavelength, which wavelengths do what, why it matters. But the next thing they said is, 
we know from other studies that adding a nitric oxide inhibitor will actually eliminate the benefits of vasodilation from photobiomodulation. So if you have anything medication-wise or chemistry-wise that could inhibit nitric oxide, then you're not going to get this microvasculature response because the mechanism just isn't working. L laser therapy is not magic here, all right? You can't just throw light onto somebody with no examination, with, with no real sense of how that patient's health is, and just expect miracles. If there's something going on that isn't healthy in the body, it could impact the mechanisms that make laser therapy work. Nitric oxide inhibition will absolutely interfere with the process of stimulating more blood flow through light therapy. Now the next thing they saw is that patients with very cold hands at the beginning of the study, before the light was applied, or patients with very hot hands before the light was applied, did not see the same type of response. Patients with the normal, and in that normal hand temperature range, well they saw good improvements in warmth and blood flow, but patients with cold hands only saw improvements in blood flow, not warmth, and patients with the hot, overly warm hands also did not see improvement in blood flow. Now, patients with overly warm hands are already in a state of vasodilation. That's what the study says. So can you really improve that anymore? Uh, evidently not. That, they're already maxed out. They're already hot. Patients with very cold hands incidentally remarked that the light source felt very hot despite not seeing a downstream increase in warmth in the hand. Now, I think that's interesting. That should tickle your brain a little bit. What's going on there? Well, first, why do patients have this hot hand or cold hand approach? What happens in the body that makes people's hands unusually cold or unusually hot? Start thinking, because that's where you have to get into some of the metabolic disorders, thyroid problems, uh, diabetics. There are multiple conditions that can affect the cold or hot-handed patient, and those are usually things that are bad. There are other things going on in the body that mean that blood flow-wise, the, the patient's not normal. So again, laser, laser therapy is just not this magic bullet that always works no matter what. You have to make sure that the patient's metabolic conditions are managed correctly and addressed. Otherwise, your chances of seeing good improvements from light therapies are reduced. What else? What else can affect the mechanisms of how patients respond? How about anemia? If the blood is not carrying enough oxygen to a damaged site, you will not have good improvements, at least not very quickly. What about other factors there? B vitamins, uh, trace minerals, calcium, potassium, sodium. All these need to be balanced to have good blood flow, fluid exchange, ATP production, because again, you have to enable the body's mechanisms to work if you're going to try and improve those mechanisms by utilizing light or laser therapy. Those are some of the factors that here at LTI, we train our doctors to get into and to recognize when you have a patient who's not responding right, there are factors that can affect it other than just the laser settings you're using or the device you're using. But the wavelength is very important. 
the patient's metabolic status is important. Their blood chemistry and their, their nutrition is important. Matter of fact, their macronutrition even is important. And we talk a lot about that, how to spot when a patient's macronutrition is not sufficient and those micronutrition problems like trace minerals. How do you know when somebody is low there without having to run blood work every single time you see the patient? And then another one is exertion. We've all probably seen patients who do this, you get them feeling a little bit better and then they go out and they go for like a 10 mile hike or they, they hit the gym really hard because they're feeling so good. That, how do they feel after that? Well, doc, it's just not working. I'm, just, I'm feeling just as bad as I was. And then you dig into that a little bit and you find out, well, they felt so good after the last time they had a treatment that they went and they cleaned their, vacuumed their entire house, say. And no wonder they're hurting again. So that's another factor here. Many, many times it is not the laser's fault. There are other things going on with the patients, and you have to get into that if you're going to see good success rates. If you want to learn more, if you want to know more about how to evaluate your patients, how to look for these warning signs that you may have a metabolic or a nutrition issue that could inhibit your patient's progress, get a hold of me. Info at lasertherapyinstitute.org or hit us up on the website. I'd be happy to talk to you about some of the training options that we have. They're the, really the only training options out there for success in clinical laser therapy. So I hope to hear from you soon, but I will definitely see you next week right here on the Laser Therapy Institute podcast. Thanks very much. Subscribe now to keep learning about the growing field of laser therapy. Check out our patient-focused podcast, Healing at the Speed of Light, a great resource for your patients. For massive practice growth and improved patient outcomes, become a certified Laser Therapy Institute clinic. Learn how at lasertherapyinstitute.org.